This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Bankruptcy is nowhere near as bad as you probably think it is. And I think that's a fascinating quote to start this segment. And I, I got to say, I didn't come up with it. This is courtesy of you, Blair. Um, mm-hmm. And we're looking at positive takeaways from filing a bankruptcy. And, and this is going to be interesting because we have to admit that that's not the first thing that people think about. Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. And bankruptcy shouldn't be the first thing that comes to your mind if you have a debt problem. You know, it is a, it's a serious legal proceeding, uh, but quite often we have these ingrained, you know, misconceptions or myths or, or just feelings that, oh my God, I can never look towards that option. All it's going to do is, you know, have lifelong consequences. And that's actually not true. You know, in many ways, bankruptcy is your reset. It's the chance for you to start over, to start again, unburdened by what's happened to you in the past. And there's a lot of really positive aspects uh, that when you file a bankruptcy, it can be really good if someone's feeling a little despondent and thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, this is something I don't want to do. But to look at the positive side, there's a lot of benefits that would happen uh, if you do choose to take that next step. And I was happy to to um, sort of really study this segment a little bit. And I love the fact that you've started off with some really good stats because the number one thing is, right, people feel so alone, like, oh, mm-hmm. nobody's in the same situation. But in fact, it's not as unusual as you may think it is. And that's pretty much just based on your own fears. Yeah, that's exactly right, Elaine. So, you know, the actual hard numbers. So uh, every year in Canada, it's about 4.6 people out of every thousand Canadians uh, filed for insolvency. So that's the last year statistics were available. So in 2019, and in terms of the number of people, it was over 137,000 Canadians last year chose to file for insolvency and 40% of them chose to file for bankruptcy. 60% 60% chose to file a consumer proposal, which is a special type of debt consolidation. You reduce the balances, you save the interest, and you avoid a bankruptcy. Uh, but almost 140,000 individuals in Canada, so that's far from somebody who should feel alone. Uh, yeah. Within BC, it was about 11,000 consumers uh, during that period uh, chose to file for bankruptcy or did a consumer proposal. And it was actually more of a significant shift uh, than, than in the Canada as a whole, 7,000 of those 11,000 BC consumers chose to file consumer proposals. So, you know, it's upwards of two-thirds of individuals are pretty close on that, uh, are dealing with their debts by filing consumer proposals. And I think it's because they're listening to dollars and cents. Don't you think so, Blair? <laughs> oh, I would hope so. I would hope we're having some impact. And, and yeah. we joke a little, but it's one of the most gratifying parts of my day when I do get a call from a listener who says, I've been listening for a long time. I felt comfortable to phone in um, just because, Elaine, they say the approach that we take, which is, uh, you know, it's not here to judge. It's here to give good information and to realize debt is a problem like any other. Um, to me, there's not a big morality component to it. Most people have been honest, but unfortunate, and they just need the right facts and the right help so they can move forward. And that's the difference between everybody else and a licensed insolvency trustee. And I know you've got some good points to make. And just reminders for folks, if you go licensed insolvency trustee, what the heck is that? You can tell us. 
Yeah, well, a licensed insolvency trustee is the only person that's empowered in Canada to help you restructure your debts using the law. So a licensed insolvency trustee is an independent, unbiased um, officer who's able to give you a free consultation, so you're not going to pay anything to figure out your options. You don't need a referral from anybody, so sometimes an accountant will phone us up with a client, but that's in the minority. Most of the time, it's people just giving us a call uh, because they're having a tough time. And if you work with a trustee, there's a strict code of ethics, there's standards of professional practice, and everything that you pay is set by a government tariff. So you don't need to worry about negotiating a fee and your neighbor getting a better deal than you. Uh, Everything is set within the law. It's supposed to be you can breathe a sigh of relief when you sit down with a trustee that you're getting everything that you need right from the best source possible. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, cause, uh, consumer proposals, bankruptcy, all of those are, are really uh, important elements to think about. Uh, but we know that there's a lot of myths out there about bankruptcy or the, about the overall process of bankruptcy that you see mm-hmm. that people really get concerned about. Yeah, I think let's hit dead on or you know straight on into the myths of bankruptcy because a lot of these will stop people from making a call when they really could get help, but they've just got some misconceptions in their mind. Uh, you know, the first one is the idea of privacy. So a lot of people really think, oh my gosh, bankruptcy is a highly public process. There's going to be a notice in the newspaper. Everyone's going to know about it. Uh, The answer is quite the opposite. So if you see a bankruptcy notice in the newspaper, it's because it fell into, you know, maybe the 0.1% of bankruptcies where there's significant assets that have to be sold, you know, in a public way. But the vast majority of cases, well over 99% of the cases that we deal with, there's no notice that goes in the newspaper. If someone Googles an individual's name plus bankruptcy, it's not going to show up. And the only people that are notified of a bankruptcy are the people that have to know, which is the people that you owe money to, just so they can be told to back off and to deal with the trustee instead. Uh, an employer isn't noticed, isn't notified uh, as a matter of course. Now, if your wages are being seized because you've already been sued and your employer is aware there's a debt problem because they're having to send a third of your paycheck to a creditor, of course, the trustee is going to get in touch and say, okay, employer, you can now give that person back 100% of their wages. Uh, but there's nothing that you need to be worried about from a privacy point of view. You can't be disciplined. You can't be terminated just because you filed a bankruptcy. And typically, the only people that know are your creditors, the trustee, and then obviously yourself and who you you choose to tell and sometimes people find the relief is just so dramatic now people are asking well how are you so different than you were a few months ago and they say well i was dealing with sands and associates and uh, and that's a big source of work for us as people friends and family uh, who can just see such a dramatic change when someone deals with their debt problem I'm sure uh, another big element or impact of that people sort of have in their heads about bankruptcy is that permanence that I will forever be branded. This will forever sort of dog me from here on in. And I don't think mm-hmm. that that's true. No, and that's a frustrating one for me, Elaine, because I can see often, um, you know, in some, you know, newspaper columns or advertisements from you know various other financial professionals, they say, you know, avoid the permanent impact of bankruptcy. And well, in most cases, there is no permanent impact of bankruptcy. Uh, what happens when you finish a bankruptcy is from the day that you're discharged, which can be as soon as nine months from the day that you file. So we're not talking 10 years of proceedings here. From the day that you're discharged, if somebody pulls a credit bureau for the next six years, they're going to see there was a bankruptcy noted. Now, you have the right to put some verbiage on there, a notation saying what were the circumstances. And most people find they can still rebuild their credit to quite a solid situation within two to three years of a bankruptcy being finished, even qualifying for mortgages, getting offers of credit. So even though the bankruptcy is noted on there for six years, you don't need to wait those six years. You're not untouchable for that period of time. And then after those six years are finished, someone pulls a credit bureau, that bankruptcy is just not going to be there. 
So the only permanent impact would be, you know, if you choose to tell everybody, well, for the rest of your life, yeah, I filed the bankruptcy. But for the most part, if they pull a credit bureau, it's going to be clean six years after your discharge. And if you've done the right step to rebuild your credit, even two to three years out, you probably got a better credit rating than when you started the proceeding. And my gosh, you're without all of your debt as well. So imagine what a different feeling that is. That'd be enormous to somebody's uh, just general well-being for sure. What about, are there people that are concerned or are there is there a thought out there that there's some severe consequences to going into a bankruptcy? Yeah, a lot of people think, well, I'm in really dire financial straits now, but my gosh, it's just going to be worse if I have to file for bankruptcy. And the big thing they're worried about is the idea of losing all of their assets. So any of our regular listeners would know if you file for bankruptcy, just about everybody keeps just about everything that they own. So there's provincial exemptions for your furniture, for your clothing, for your RRSPs, for your tools of the trade. You know, quite often people are in a more protected situation under a bankruptcy proceeding because people can't call them, harass them, or trying to take to court uh, to seize any of those assets. Um, so going into bankruptcy doesn't mean that you lose your assets. Now, you know, certain things, if you've got a yacht sitting at the marina that's got no loan against it, you might have to sell that to pay your debts. But I've never had a client like that. Most of the time when people are considering a bankruptcy situation, it's because they've exhausted every other option to pay their debts. And what they're worried about losing is the really core personal assets, again, the furniture, the clothing, the tools of the trade, which bankruptcy actually puts them in a better position um, to, to retain than if they had not filed. I'd like to suggest at this point, too, if anything that we've been talking about kind of resonates with you, you think, oh, boy, I yeah, I've thought that or I'm considering that, but I don't want to do this. Go and talk to someone at Sands and Associates. It's so easy to do. Their number is 1-800-661-3030. They're happy uh, to sit and talk with you. I know you do a lot of your work virtually, of course, uh, or check out their website, which is terrific, sands-trustee.com. Uh, I know that people, all kinds of situations that people are in, uh, are, are there some sort of usual ones that the that you can say, oh, I've talked to a couple of people like that this week who are in this situation uh, when they're considering bankruptcy? Oh, absolutely, Elaine. I've got a lot of research, um, you know, to, to back this up as well. So, um, you know, if anybody's listening, if they go to our website, sans-trustee.com, and click on our debt study, uh, we survey our clients every year. We get really good insights on what they were facing and what caused them to have to reach out to us. Uh, and again, oftentimes, it's just the circumstances of life that have happened. So a lot of people, first off, it's a myth that everyone's credit, um, you know, is in the doldrums before they file for bankruptcy. A lot of people still have a great credit rating because all you need to do to keep a great credit rating is just keep all your minimum payments up to date, regardless of whether you pay it from one card to pay another and you're no better off. So there's no requirement that you're actually delinquent on your debt, that you've been sued, uh, anything like that. You just need to make the decision um, that you know you're not going to be able to pay these debts off. So, you know, upwards of 70% of people who file for bankruptcy actually have never missed a payment. They just look at the overall situation and realize they're doing nothing every month that's making themselves better off. They need to, you know, uh, click stop on that life and start on a new one. In terms of the circumstances that bring people to us, 37% of people, and this is the largest proportion by far, it's a loss of income. So maybe things were going great and then their company had to shut down um, or, you know, their spouse had lost their job or, um, you know, in addition to the family, something like that that really impacted the income or even just getting into retirement. You know, they had continued to accumulate debt and then suddenly they're on a pension, which might be half of what they were getting before. So loss of income is the most significant reason that brings people to us. 
Uh, the second reason, this is about one in four people or close on 23%, is medical reasons. So, you know, through no fault of their own, they just got sick, a spouse or a family member got sick. And as much as our health care is theoretically free in Canada, there's nothing that replaces the income that you've lost. And perhaps there's some extra costs that just aren't absorbed by any benefits that you might have. Uh, the last of the three biggest ones that we see is relationship breakdown. Um, so in the situations where a couple is splitting up or a family is having uh, to now establish two houses as opposed to one, um, that can just be quite detrimental. And quite often when the relationship is on really rocky ground, um, you know, the finances aren't the top of mind and people maybe haven't been managing as closely as they wanted to. So relationship breakdown is the other, you know, of the, of the top three causes here. Now, do you want to mention, because we're just about out of time in the segment, the po- a positive outcome, a helpful solution that comes from bankruptcy? Yeah, I think, Elaine, a couple of key things is bankruptcy is going to deal with virtually any type of debt, whether it's credit card debt, income tax, student loans. It's going to deal with these debts for good. So it's a permanent solution, and it's going to give you breathing room in your monthly budget. It's going to allow you your bankruptcy payment is typically going to be a lot less than what you were scrounging to pay each month on your debts, and you've got an end date. The bankruptcy is going to last for 9 to 21 months, and at the end of that, you're going to have all the debt left behind. Lots of great reasons to give them a call. 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So we talk about debt all the time on this show. That really is the focus for us. And we talk about all the different uh, ways of dealing with it. But is there a single place that you can start to Mm -hmm. think about it or before I come in to see uh, somebody, you or someone in in the offices, uh, is there a place that I can start or what do you tell people or what would you like people to do? So these are good questions, Elena. And I think for today, let's talk about, you know, what are the barriers that people feel that stop them from reaching out to help? You know, from from me, I can say, yeah, I can help you once you've done these things. Um, But typically someone says, well, before I even call the trustee, you know, I don't know, I've got to do this first or that first. And sometimes they put these insurmountable barriers ahead of themselves. Let's talk about today. Here's a couple things that if someone thinks they've got a debt problem, they're not sure if they need a trustee's help, here's at least a couple things they can kind of sort out on their own to get ready to make that next call to get some help. Okay. Okay. So what's the first one? Well, number one, and this is not the sexiest thing in the world, but it's budgeting. And so many things in life come down to a budget. A budget's a story, a budget's a plan, a budget's an idea of how you're going to live your life. And if you don't have it, you know, many people say it's like driving your car just completely blind. You know, you're going to run into something, you're not going to see it coming, and there's going to be a catastrophic impact. So, you know, how do you keep a budget? Let's spend a couple minutes talking about that. All right, I don't know. (laughs) I shouldn't say that. But kind of, like, it's one of those scary things. I go, oh, I don't want to do that. And there's ways you can over-engineer this, and then you end up, you know, with something that's so complicated, it doesn't give you really any output. But, you know, you could have a budget on a single sheet of paper, which is what we normally do with our clients and a couple key components are all you need to get started. Okay. So, you know, first off, you need to tally up your take-home income. What so, comes in the door? Yeah, exactly. So if you're a standard salaried employee, okay, you get paid two, maybe three times in a month. If it's a three-pay month, you figure out what that is so you know what your income is. If you're self-employed, it's obviously a little bit more difficult, but maybe look at your last year's taxes and figure out an average amount per month. 
Um, but you've got to be careful when you're budgeting that, you know, things that might happen in the future, you know, hey, I think I'm going to get this tax refund this year because I always get it. Well, don't plan for that until you actually have it. It's, mm. it's a really critical thing not to spend money before you actually have it. Fair so enough. make sure when you're considering your income, it's chickens that have already hatched, so hmm. to speak, uh, not ones that, you know, may or may not hatch in the future. Okay. Uh, so once you've done, you've done adding up all of your income, which should be relatively simple, you know, employment income, maybe some child benefit support and things like that, list out your fixed costs. So by fixed costs, I mean things that you have no flexibility in. So, you know, quite often this is your rent, you know, as much as you'd love to go negotiate with your landlord at 0.1% vacancy or whatever it is, that's probably going to be a short conversation. Right. So there are certain costs that you just know you're not going to be able to reduce no matter what, you know, maybe it's childcare costs, you know, MSP, which goes away this year, but as of now, that's a fixed cost, nothing you can do about that. Yeah. So once you've listed out your fixed cost, your next step is to track your spending. And this is where most people really break down because it can get a bit tough to keep track of everything in this modern world, every transaction that we make. But a couple easy ways to do it is just for a solid month, get a receipt for everything every coffee, every transit ticket, everything like that, get a receipt, stick it in a pocket, and then nightly or weekly, just sit down, add up the receipts that you've got. That can be an easy way to do it. How scary is that for some people? It can be scary because it's actually putting into, you know, black and white, what they think they're doing, but actually it's quite different what's actually happening. Yeah. Right? So a lot of people, they figure out, oh my God, I had no idea I was spending this much, you know, coffee here or there. It actually does add up at the end of the day. Yeah. Especially if if you're one of those regular people every morning on your way, you do that. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so tracking my spending. Yep. Now, a really important thing here is to put it in writing. So this mm-hmm. idea that, okay, I've got this budget in my head, you know, my income is 2200 my rent's 1400 so I know where I'm going to spend the rest of the money here. Until you write it down, put it in black and white, you've just got the idea of a budget. You don't actually have a budget. Fair so enough. So you really need to have something written down. And then what's hugely important is at the end of the month, you actually crunch the numbers and you look at, okay, well, did I stay within budget this month? If I overran, where did I overrun? Is it something that's going to recur? Is it a decision that I made that I should have made a different decision? Or is it something completely out of my control? And if so, you know, how can I prepare for that next time? Do I even consider my credit card debt and stuff like that oh, when yeah. I'm doing my budget? Every dollar in and out. So one of your budget items for the outflow would be credit card payments. Okay. Yeah. And if it's the case that, you know, I can afford everything, but when I get to my credit card payments, there's no money left over, well, then that tends to point out that, okay, on a month-to-month basis, if you had no debt, you'd actually be living within a budget, but it's this debt hangover of things that are probably providing you no benefit anymore, but are still a drag on your finances, that points out that's the problem that you have to solve. How often should a person check their budget? I'd say every month. Every month. Yeah, at Not least. more than that? Well, a lot of people will do every two weeks or so, sometimes with their paycheck, you know, they'll update their income at that time and their expenses. I'm a fan of, you know, do it once a month, check in, get some, you know, big directional type of indications. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what's another area of the, the this process that people get stuck? Taxes. Oh. The tax man. So <laughs> oddly enough, taxes come every year, but not, we're not always prepared for it. And I know because there are people in my life, some people just have a psychological block for taxes. No matter if it's simple, they've got one T4, they're never going to owe the government money. Their hands start to shake when I start saying, well, yo, you could do this yourself. Fill out the forms, do it online. Some people just get really scared about any dealings with the government. And I get it. They've got all the power and we've got none. But this is one of these hoops that unfortunately it's not going away. And every year, every Canadian has to file an income tax return. And it's and there's so many ways of doing it too these days, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 
Not just me sitting down and doing it if I don't want to. No, like what I do with my family, you know, we go to Costco, we buy the tax software for 30 bucks, you do eight returns for that, you know? Okay. A lot of the time you can go to, you know, H&R Block or wherever, you know, big tax tax places, you might pay 50 to $80 for a return, but at least it's done. Uh, but a lot of ways to do it, if you're low income, you can generally do it online even for free. But the things that you miss out on if you don't file taxes are really important to know. So, you know, things like GST, HST credits. So mm-hmm. if you're low income four times a year, the government's sending you a check, and if you don't file your taxes, you're not getting that check. And that could enough. be, you know, 100 to $200 for some people. Uh, Canada Child Benefit, which is just massive, you know, in some cases, that can be over $1,000 for a family. If they don't file their taxes or file them late, they can be cut off from that benefit. Oh, that's so really it's incredibly important. important yeah. Uh, RRSP contributions, when you file your taxes, you create contribution rooms. So you can put money away for your RRSPs for savings for retirement later in life. If you don't file, you're not creating that room and you can't put the same money in. Right. And CRA will tell you exactly how much you can spend. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, things like if you're trying to secure financing, whether it's a car, a house, or even a credit card, some things like that, you often have to prove your income by showing your tax assessment. So it allows you to substantiate when you tell someone, here's the money that I made. And by the way, here's what the government has validated that, yes, I'm up to date with all my taxes and my payments. Um, I know I have a bunch of clients who are in the film industry. And a few years ago, there was a big change where all the independent contractors, they could not get hired unless they would show their tax assessment to the people hiring them. Oh, that's interesting. And that forced them all to be completely client. Before now, then, there was a lot of non-compliance because being self-employed, it's a little more difficult to stay up. Interesting. Why the employer would care that much, I wonder. Well, I think they were thinking, if we don't get these people on board, eventually CRA is going to come to us and ah. say, well, these are actually your employees and maybe you should have been remitting taxes. So um, I think it was, let's regulate ourselves before the government tries to do so. But I think, yeah, more and more, I would expect self-employed people to have to really show tax assessments, show that they're up to date, perhaps even before taking on jobs, you'd want to know that your contractor is not a half a million dollars in debt to CRA or hasn't filed for 10 years, for yeah, example. No, fair enough. Is there sort of a, um, a theory uh, of why people delay filing their tax returns? You know, a lot of it is they just think they owe money and it's better not to file. <laughs> Okay. And I can understand that, but the government generally knows more than you do. Um, and generally, they're going to know if you owe money. Yes. So if you're self-employed, if you go enough years without filing taxes, they're just going to arbitrarily assess you. They're going to say all of your bank deposits were revenue and you had no business expenses. And then you're going to have a way worse outcome than if you had actually filed that return. Fair enough. Um, so, you know, definitely if you're a self-employed person, don't delay filing taxes. And if you're an individual and you're delaying because you owe money, CRA already knows that. They've got your T4s. They know all this stuff. Um, so there's really no benefit for you delaying filing. All you're doing is essentially getting put into a non-compliant bucket of taxpayers, which generally gets collected a little bit more aggressively than the compliant bunch. Fair enough. So yeah, it's best to take action and not not just think that nobody knows what you're doing Mm -hmm. because they do. If you want more information, go to Sands and Associates. You can go to their website. They've got some great questions and answers, sands-trustee.com, or give them a call, 1-800-661-3030 for that consultation, as well as to find an office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We've got Sarah Forte on the line. She's a labor and employment lawyer and founder of Forte Law. 
Now, since 2004, she's practiced exclusively in the areas of employment labor law. That's what we're going to talk about today. She focuses on solving work-related problems, everything from hiring to firing and everything in between. Uh, Langley Kidd, uh, 12 years of working for leading firms in Vancouver, back in November 2016, took the leap to open up her own firm and now has offices in Surrey and Langley. Uh, Sarah is very active in business and legal community, as well as a frequent author and speaker on employment law and other topics. Sarah, we're so happy to have you on the show. So let's let's start. I know I've used an employment lawyer over the years, um, really just one specific time, because in this business, radio business, uh, you're only as good as your last gig, newscast, commercial, whatever it is, and uh, I needed some help with that. So, um, so I'm sort of familiar with it. But, but what are the what are the parameters? When do you know you need to get an employment lawyer? Um, I'm going to answer that question from the perspective of an employee, because of course both parties sometimes need advice, the employee and the employer. Um, but when I'm advising individuals, most frequently it's when their employment has come to an end. Uh, employees will call me for advice if they think they're about to get fired or even more frequently after they've been fired. Sometimes they come with a severance package in hand and they're hoping for someone to take a look at that and let them know what's fair or what's reasonable for their situation. Um, when I'm advising employers, like companies, um, they'll call me often also around the time when they're thinking of letting someone go. Um, Sometimes they'll call me after they've received a legal claim by an employee, and companies will also hire me proactively to prepare employment contracts or policies. Um, I'm getting a lot of requests for bullying and harassment policies and sexual harassment policies, um, and a lot of requests about drug and alcohol policies with, with marijuana in the workplace being in the news. Yeah, that's a huge new topic for everybody, isn't it? It is. It's definitely a topic of interest. We're getting lots of questions in the landscape has been changing daily, weekly for months. I would say the last year there's been evolutions all the time in terms of what's happening, so it's it's hard but important to keep up to date. Can we talk a little bit about that right now? Because I hadn't even thought about that, um, just because, you know, I have my own personal biases around it. What What are the sort of things that you're telling employers, I guess, to start with about it? Sure. When employers are calling and asking lots of questions and, and very concerned about how the legalization of marijuana is going to impact their workplace. Um, in, in large part, my advice is, well, for starters, at, at least at this point, it's, it's still not legal. Um, I think the anticipated date is in October. Um, the, but when that does come in, then we're going to be looking at marijuana and treating it in a similar way to alcohol. Um, and, and what that means is you as an employer still don't have to permit employees to work if they're impaired. And that's the bottom line, and that's not going to change. And you wouldn't be allowed, as a result of that, you, it wouldn't be something that you could bring in your, uh, into your place of employment, just like it's not good or, illi- or against all the rules, depending on who you work for, to have it in your locker or in your cubbyhole or in your office or something like that. Well, the same rules would apply, I, that would apply to alcohol. Um, so that would be the, the way we would look at it. The only difference would be um, potentially if we're dealing with medicinal marijuana where you have a legitimate doctor's prescription and you're using it um, to treat a disability. Okay, yeah, see, that's another good point because there's nothing, alcohol never falls into that medicinal um, category, does it? Not that I've heard. <laughs> I mean, sometimes uh, I, I don't I've... Know. I, sometimes hear people say they're going to take a drink after <laughs> a, 
a long day or a bad day. Yeah. I don't know that my doctor has ever prescribed me to go home and have a glass of wine, but certainly mm-hmm. my friends do. Yes, the, exactly. The self-medicating is probably not too encouraged by the medical community, I, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Sarah, we yeah. talked about you know re- retaining an employment lawyer when employment comes to an end. Um, and I wonder, you know, at the outset when you're starting new employment, I would think you know this is one maybe people don't think about as often. But can it be important to, to uh, consult with an employment lawyer, get them involved if you're starting a new position, look over employment contracts and things like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you asked that, Blair. I, I have to say this is this is one of my one of my issues I'd like to see improved is I'd love to see more people calling in for advice before they sign an employment contract. Mm-hmm. Um, employers get advice about employment contracts, and so one way to level the playing field as an employee is to make sure you're getting advice and going in eyes wide open. Um, generally, employment contracts are written by lawyers for companies, and the companies are their clients, and so they're entirely one-sided, and they're meant to protect the company. Um, employees sign them. Sometimes employees don't even read them, um, and the contracts can really limit their rights. For example, what, what type of things would, would someone have signed that maybe didn't realize? Uh, so frequently I see termination clauses. Those are mm-hmm. common and, and totally legal and, and fair to put in an employment contract, but they really limit what you would be entitled to when the employment relationship comes to an end. The other thing that I see frequently is what we call non-solicitation or non-competes. I think they're, they're more commonly known. And these are kinds of contract clauses that limit what you can do after you leave employment. Sometimes for up to a year or more after you leave a job, you can still have restrictions that follow you from the old job. Um, I, I see people all the time when their jobs have ended, and the first thing I always do is say, can you send me a copy of your employment agreement? Mm-hmm. Sometimes people don't even know if they have one or they aren't able to get a copy. Oftentimes people send me a copy and they're quite surprised to see what's in it when we review it together. And is there any argument to be made, you know, if they didn't get legal advice at the time or didn't quite understand what they were signing, or is it, you know, they're they're bound by their signature and that's kind of that? Those kinds of arguments are hard to make, Blair. I, I won't say there's no circumstances where they could be made, but generally, if you sign a contract, you're bound by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have to look for sort of some creative ways to deal with that. It's always better to make sure before you're, whenever you're looking at a contract of any kind, but particularly in employment, that you've read it you're able to understand it, and if you're not, that you go and get some advice on that before you sign it. This business of broadcasting, there's uh, uh, not everybody gets employment contracts or contracts, but um, some do, and there's a couple of things that show up all the time, especially the non-compete. If you're at one radio station and you've been fired and another radio station wants to pick you up right away, then you'll get those non-compete Clause and like you said, they can last up to a year. I know some people say, "Well, where's so and so? He hasn't been on the radio for a really <laughs> long time." Well, there's a reason why so and so, or or uh, regardless whether it's a he or she, hasn't shown up uh, recently, uh, and that's because of that. Because of that contract, nobody wants you competing, even if they don't want you. They don't want you competing against uh, them at the end of the day, which is kind of selfish, I think. But it's interesting, and boy, oh boy, you need to pay attention to that. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of, we, we could talk for hours about that. You know, there are, from the company side, they'll say, well, we invest a lot of time and training, and, and we're going to teach you everything we know about this business. Um, and so if you then work for us for six months and quit and walk across the street, and with the benefit of everything we've taught you, you know, that that's kind of one of the prevailing considerations. 
judges don't like non-solicitation and non-compete clauses, so they're very hard for employers to win on. Oh, that's but interesting. In the end of the day, if they're there and they're in the contract, it can still create some significant problems. Huh, that's very interesting. What are the are there clear signs when somebody should seek advice from you uh, if they're in a workplace right now and they're listening to this? What are the kinds of things that they need to pay attention to? And I know you're sort of wearing both hats at this point from an employer's point of view and an employee's point of view, but is that is that a, a fair question? Yeah, that's definitely a fair question, and I'm, I'm quite comfortable wearing both hats. I take them on and off all day long. So, <laughs> um, you know, when might you want to seek advice? Um, frankly, most people come to me after they've been fired. So that's a really clear space where you pretty emotional time too. Wow. You, yeah, and you're not your your world is upside down, uh, and you're not sure whether what your rights are and whether what you're being offered is fair or reasonable if you're being offered anything at all. So that's a really obvious time, um, and that's as I said when most people come to see me. Another time when when people will come to see me is if they um, have a disability of some kind, a physical or mental illness that's that's maybe impacting their work, and um, they feel that the employer isn't accommodating that, um, or work, or they're maybe being mistreated because of it. Um, similarly, um, you know, I see pregnancy discrimination or um, different different forms of discrimination uh, that are happening at work. That's a time when you can get some legal advice and, and help put a strategy in place to solve the problem. And I imagine clients, as, as I'm sure, you know, as someone who's just been fired, they're very emotional. It's a tough situation. If someone feels in a tenuous relationship with their job, they might be nervous of, you know, starting to get somebody involved, you know, bring a lawyer into the situation. Um, how do you discuss with somebody that, you know, it's actually it's making their position stronger by showing, you know, that they know their rights, they've got someone to advocate on their behalf, as opposed to them worried, well, my boss will see that I've got a lawyer now. He's going to look for just another reason to get, to get rid of me. Yeah, so almost virtually without exception, I am behind the scenes. Mm. So if you call a lawyer and go see a lawyer, unless you authorize that lawyer to disclose that, no one is ever going to know that you've seen a lawyer. Right. So uh, that solicitor-client confidentiality is something you've probably heard of, and that that is a fundamental part of our job as lawyers, is keeping things quiet when people come to see us. Um, in most cases, um, my involvement with people is an initial consultation, a meeting where we go through, we, I listen to their whole situation, and um, we go through it beginning to end. I help them identify their goals, like are they hoping to fix things at work and stay? Are, are they ready to leave and are hoping for a package? Have they already been left and what have they been offered? Um, we identify the goals and then we look at the legal tools and I help them make a strategy that is going to move them towards their goals. So it's actually, uh, people are quite surprised, I think, that that's that that's the approach. It, it's not sort of me getting on the phone to their employer the next day and and swooping in um, because often that creates more problems than solutions. Yeah, I know that uh, it's it's really just advice uh, that one is seeking at that point if you feel if you've already been let go and you're given a severance package. Um, is there some some key things? So let's say I've just been fired, uh, for, hopefully not, but just been fired. What do I, um, what's the first thing that I should look for to know that I need to come and see somebody? I guess the first question I would have when someone's been fired is, are you represented by a union or not? Mm, fair if enough. If you are represented by a union, um, the first step you need to do is reach out to your union. They're likely already engaged and aware. Um, and find out from them about your rights, which are quite different in a unionized environment than a non-union environment. 
people who come to see me are generally not represented by unions, and so they don't have that sort of built-in representation and advice. Uh, and I would say pretty much any situation where you've lost your job, unless you've been through it before and already received legal advice and understand the, the nuances of the package you're being offered and whether it's fair or if you're not being offered a package, whether that's fair, um, I would say you should definitely seek legal advice. Good advice, Sarah. I want to wrap up now uh, and just remind our listener, uh, Sarah Ford is a labor and employment lawyer and founder of Forte Law, F-O-R-T-E, and uh, certainly would be happy to answer questions for you. She's got two offices, one in Surrey and one in Langley. Sarah, thank you so much. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Accessing Debt Help Service. Um, We know that there's folks that want some advice on how to deal with their debts, and and we've got some great resources for you and some great ideas. Um, And especially during this time, and we won't spend a lot of time at the beginning of the segment, Blair, but it's a tough time for folks uh, trying to navigate all kinds of things that they've never had to navigate before when it comes to finances. Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. So if you think being in debt is stressful in the best of times, you know, imagine being in debt in the throes of a pandemic with so much uncertainty and a lot of people being socially isolated, um, you know, necessarily so. But there's a lot of mental health impacts that people are dealing with that can make a debt burden even more unmanageable than it might be, you know, during the normal times. And and being a licensed insolvency trustee, uh, you see a whole kaleidoscope of folks in terms of situations and 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 circumstances that they probably never thought that they would be in but uh you're there to help them and i think it's i think it's a really important moment for you to you get to blow your own horn on this because you you are doing good work well, and it's interesting work as well, Elaine. So there's definitely, you know, the satisfaction of just knowing you've helped another human being. And, you know, that, that's just so something so um, in, intrinsic in the job that the, everyone that I hire, you know, when they say, you know, why do you like working at Sand? It's because we actually help people on a day-to-day basis. But what's really interesting about the job, too, is it's really varied um, the type of help that we give to people. So when they come to us, um, you know, they might just have some questions. Well, what are the legal rights and remedies when it comes to this debt? You know, if I'm splitting up from my husband or wife, can they collect from the other person or someone, uh, you know, unfortunately were to pass on, can their next of kin be collected for? So we're really people that can shine some light on what can be a really tough, uh, murky situation and give you some clear guidance. Um, you know, we help people a lot with saying, well, is this debt collectible? So, oh, is it an old debt where nothing's been done in it for years and years? And the credit counselor might be saying they're going to, no, sorry, the credit counselor, the collection agent might be calling to say they're going to take you to court, but they actually can't because the statute of limitations has run out. You know, we tell people about that a lot. Uh, we tell people what to do when they can't afford to pay a debt. You know, is it going to be trying to negotiate? Is it going to be sending them a letter saying, here's my situation and I can't pay? Um, or what are the legislated solutions like a consumer proposal uh, or even a bankruptcy? Um, and then what's also really interesting, too, especially now, is we speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of small business people uh, who are going through a tough time. They're trying to get through. You know, how do they navigate through some short-term financial implications, um, looking at their cash flow, their viability going forward, and giving them some ideas about the pros and cons if they were to restructure themselves personally and on their business. You know, what does that actually look like? So no two days are the same and no two meetings are the same, 
Um, but we approach everything from a lens of let's give the right information. Uh, let's approach it on a human to human basis without judgment. You know, what's the information that you need to make the best decision for yourself and your family? And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, but but you you do the same thing as this group and that group, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of uh, debt help professionals out there that offer different services. Do you want to run through some of them so that folks know that know that you know that? Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. So people start Googling, you will find there's a, you know, a bunch of different professionals who will say they can help you with your debt. Uh, but unless they have licensed insolvency trustee after their name, they're not going to be able to help you with the full suite of options available. So there can be some companies called debt settlement companies, um, you know, what they're going to be able to do. And it won't come out up front, but you'll have to figure this out in the course of meetings, sometimes over months after you've paid some fees, is they're going to say, we can help you reduce your debt down to a lower balance. But what's in the fine print is you need to have that lower balance saved up in cash before they'll even start negotiating for you. So quite often, you'll start making monthly payments towards them. They'll say, we're going to get you this great deal at 20 or 30 percent paid back. But then after you've saved up a bunch of money, um, they take their fee. They're unable to reach a deal. And you've got no recourse because there's no regulation around debt settlement companies. So you need to be careful uh, if that debt settlement is what you're considering. It might be a great option if you've got a lump sum of money. But I would still weigh that against working with a trustee because it's going to be a legislated solution. Uh, you know, another option that people see a lot uh, is credit counselors. And sometimes they're not for profit, sometimes they're for profit. But you need to realize that credit counselors in many provinces across Canada, they're actually the same, they're registered the same as a collection agency. And the idea is they operate more like a collection agency than someone on your side, because their mandate is to get 100% of the debt repaid. They can often give you a break on the interest, and near 100% of their compensation doesn't come from charitable donations, it comes actually from the banks giving them a commission on what they're able to collect. So just about every not-for-profit credit counselor in various provinces, they are registered as a collection agency. So you do need to be careful if they're explaining to you about a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. First off, they don't have the expertise to actually file that, and they might not know all the ins and outs, but they're going to be very biased to push it towards their solution because that's actually how they get compensated. So you really do need to be careful. In some situations, yeah, you're able to afford to pay off all your debts. You're happy with an interest freeze. That's great. But just go into it with eyes open, knowing that they're could be other options available to you that might not be explained very clearly if you're just dealing with a credit counselor. And if this sounds confusing, we totally get it. And, and that's why I can't stress enough how important it is to give Sands and Associates a call, uh, 1-800-661-3030, because uh, their offices are filled with people like Blair who will explain, sit you down and explain the situation. And then, and then you get to figure out your next steps or work with them to figure out your next steps. Also check out their website, sands-trustee.com. Blair, are there certain sort of considerations that people should keep in mind as they look at the different options? Like the sort of things that you would talk to them about when they sit down. Well, I think first off, the idea of not delaying. So just about everybody I meet with, you know, at the end of our first meeting, they, they exhale a big sigh of relief. Now they've got the information, but they feel a little bit sad that they didn't make the call sooner. So, you know, you don't have to be in such severe financial situations. You know, the bailiff's at the door, the court proceeding is starting next week. So the idea of reaching out to get information earlier than maybe when you think you even need it, um, you know, at worst, you're just going to be better informed and you can be a resource, you know, perhaps to somebody in your life who might be having a tough time. 
Uh, when someone comes in to sit down with us, we review everything. We talk about their assets, their liabilities. We answer all of their questions. We really spend a lot of time on their monthly budget as well to make sure that if there is a solution we're able to provide, it's going to be affordable and it's going to actually solve the problem. So the idea of coming in early, uh, of you know just being transparent with the trustee of sitting down and getting really good guidance, uh, you know that's going to go a long way to helping people you know really feel better about their debts. I, I can't imagine, or I can imagine, the kinds of people that uh, you're talking to in their situations today during this pandemic mm-hmm. and, and having to deal with this crazy thing that we've all had to adjust to, or in some cases still trying to figure out how to adjust to. Yeah, and, and things change, you know, day to day, week to week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the government's coming out with various supports all the time. So it's important to be on top of those. Uh, the thing for people to keep in mind is uh, very quickly in the pandemic, licensed insolvency trustees were classified as an essential service. So whereas before the pandemic, we were meeting everybody in person, it was pretty rare to do a telephone or a video consultation. Um, you know, as of now, to keep everybody safe, we're near 100% doing everything over telephone or by video. And the government's relaxed a very various rules to allow us to sign documents electronically. Um, You know, Zoom has just been a godsend for us to be able to have the face-to-face and still have the same connection with individuals. So the idea is you absolutely can still get help for your debts during the pandemic, um, and trustees are here to give you that assistance. Um, So what we've been trying to do, you know, to slow the spread for everybody is even myself and most of my staff, we're working remotely, but we're fully operational, still able to give access to all the solutions that people need. It must be uh, it must be a real eye opener uh, to see all the different circumstances that people are having to try to figure out. Yeah, what, what's been a little bit challenging, to, to be frank, Elaine, is just you know how wide the swath has been of people who are really having trouble now that might not have ever had trouble before. So you know, through no fault of their own, some really great personal trainers, uh, you know, some really great realtors, some really great uh, commercial lease uh, operators, they're coming to see us now. And I know, absent the pandemic, they wouldn't necessarily need our help, uh, but now they're just finding you know a very dire situation. And you know, in some cases, we're able to coach people through just to figure out, okay, let's see how the next you know, short period of time unfolds. Let's see if you really need to do a formal restructuring. But the longer, you know, this, this new normal tends to endure, um, you know, the restaurant sector in particular, it's almost every week uh, I've got people calling. And some of these are places I used to love to go to, uh, but they just can't continue, uh, you know, to operate under the new restrictions as they necessarily are. So it's really hitting a lot of folks and we're doing our best to give hope and comfort during this tough time. So whether you're a business, you operate a business, or you're just a person who's lost their job or isn't able to go to work right now, uh, Sands & Associates is a really great option for you to deal with that uh, growing debt. Uh, very easy to get a hold of them, 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.